Hey folks, there are big January 6th developments this week. The House Select Committee held its first two public hearings of the year. There were dramatic moments, including new video footage from the insurrection and recorded testimony from Bill Barr, Ivanka Trump, and Jared Kushner. And so far this week, the committee highlighted the impact of the big lie. But the question remains, what will be the impact of the hearings? Joyce and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as part of the insider community. So this is a very important point that I don't know is being made so clearly, and I'm not sure how clearly I can make the point. And that is if the fundamental issue here with respect to the culpability of Donald Trump is what was in his mind, then it's important to assess his conduct in light of what he was being told, right? So the clearest case is if he's seeking to overturn the election and he's calling it a lie, but he, in private commentary, caught on tape in the ideal situation or caught in an email somewhere, confesses, yeah, I know we didn't win the election, but I still want to remain in power. That's the slam dunk, case closed kind of thing with respect to his mens rea, his state of mind. Do you agree with that? Yes, I agree. That's the evidence that you want to have as a prosecutor. And if Merrick Garland had that, he would go on it. Now, we don't have that. And I think it's fair to assume that there is not that. So what you have instead is the testimony of all the people around him, reasonable people, people close to him, people on whom Trump has relied and did rely for all sorts of decision-making, including his daughter, including the attorney general, including the cyber people, including campaign chiefs that he has had, who are all telling him, that's why this is important, who are all telling him, we lost, you didn't win. There was no fraud. There was no stealing of the election. That's not as good as an acknowledgement from Trump himself or a confession that, yeah, I agree with you, I see that, but it's something. The argument then that people will spin from the testimony of people around Trump is that Trump never really cared what anyone had to say. And even before the election happened, he was already saying, if I lose, the election will have been rigged. Yeah, I mean, he said that in 2016, right? Right, right. But, and I'm not doing an elegant job of it. The argument is, and maybe it's a willful blindness argument, the argument is, at no point did Donald Trump care about or pay any attention to before the fact, during the fact, and after the fact, to the facts on the ground. And so in the context in which he really doesn't care, he's not following or caring about the evidence of what was fraudulent or non-fraudulent in the election, he was willfully blind and he can still be held accountable because he had the intent to overturn the election. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think that that's exactly the point here, right? Some of these statutes, this, this gets into mens rea, the criminal state of mind element that DOJ would have to establish beyond a reasonable doubt to convict. And in many of these statutes, there are elements that require proof of knowledge or proof of intent. And so the, the way you get to knowledge is either with direct evidence, the, the evidence that Preetis suggested we don't have here, or with evidence of willful blindness, which is essentially that Trump was presented with compelling reason to believe that he had lost 
And instead of investigating further to learn the truth or accepting the truth, he simply stuck his fingers in his ears like a poorly behaved four-year-old and said, no, 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 no. It's the way I say it is because I say it's that way. Right. The quintessential case uh, or fact pattern relating to willful blindness, as I've always understood it, is imagine a narcotics charge and you've got a mule, you know, someone who, who's the courier and, and carries three kilos of cocaine, you know, across the Mexican border into the United States. And he says at the end, when arrested, that that mule, that courier, I never looked in the package. Some guy just asked me to bring a package. I didn't know it was drugs, so I don't have knowledge, right? That's sort of what we're talking about. But if the circumstances are as follows, the argument is you're willfully blind and you can't ignore that fact. So let's say you know that the person who has given you a package is in the drug trade. He doesn't tell you what's in the package. He says it's very, very important that nobody open the package, nobody take the package away from you. It's very important that you do this and I can't do it myself. And then if you do it successfully, I'm going to pay you $10,000 for carrying the six-pound package across the border. The fact that you didn't open the package to see with your own eyes that it was cocaine is not an excuse or a defense. All the circumstances surrounding the transaction and your conduct make it super clear. It was very, very likely, if not 100% probable, that it was narcotics. That's willful blindness. Willful blindness is a fact issue that's left up to the jury. Juries decide whether they believe that a defendant was willfully blind. And so your example is a really good one. And if you were to go out and look at the case law, you would find that DOJ prosecutes under a willful blindness theory with some regularity. And the question is usually, how good is your evidence of willful blindness? So if, for instance, you just had, and I'm going to make this up because this isn't something that we have, but if Ivanka Trump says, I told daddy that he had lost, that it was really clear, and he ignored me. Well, that's evidence of willful blindness, but it's not very good on its own. But here, you know, you sort of went through everything, this notion that on election night he was told, don't declare victory because we don't have the votes. And that the numbers guys in the campaign are saying it's not really possible for us to make up the difference. And Barr tells him there's no fraud. And after Barr is gone, the new leadership at DOJ continues to tell him that. And then he loses cases, right? More than 60 cases where judges find no fraud. And we have that all wrapped up in this context of, of the fact that from 2016 on, he said without any basis, if I lose, it'll be due to fraud. That's pretty good evidence of willful blindness when you take it all together. Do you see any problem at all with the idea of prosecuting a former president of the United States on a willful blindness theory? You know, you and I understand the doctrine and we've overseen or, or personally prosecuted cases on the basis of that doctrine in perhaps more clear circumstances. Do you want to have a clearer case that relies on theories that are more understandable and more common, or does it not matter? Well, in a perfect world, I'd always want direct evidence of knowledge and intent. But, you know, Trump is very slippery and savvy, and you're probably not going to get that. And I don't think that if the rest of the evidence is there, he should avoid prosecution just because he was very evolved as a criminal. And something I think that's important here if you're evaluating litigation risk is that willful blindness seems to be a very easy concept for jurors, for the public to understand, because we've all been involved in situations that we can relate to in our daily lives where someone is unreasonably 
resistant to accepting clear facts. And in this case, you know, we've got a, the president of the United States. So it's, it's one thing for someone to insist that the moon is made of blue cheese, right? Clearly not reasonable, clearly willfully blind if you believe that. And then to have the prospect of that person leading the country adds an entirely different dimension to it, which I think is separate from the the criminal realm, why it's so important for Congress to put this evidence on to the American people, because, you know, 2024 cometh for us all. (laughs) Cometh for us all. That's certainly true. Can we ponder for a moment what a trial would look like if this is the thing that's at issue? So Donald Trump's lawyer, let's say he gets charged hypothetically at some point in the future with respect to this conduct leading up to January 6th. And the prosecutors say, well, Donald Trump was willfully blind. There was all this evidence. He didn't care about the evidence in any event. And then his lawyers get up and say, no, there was all this evidence of fraud. It was just ignored by all these judges. But it doesn't mean that he intended to do anything bad. He just thought in good faith that the election favored him And then they start talking about all these theories and they talk about the suitcase in Fulton County. And isn't it just sort of a a relitigation of these crazy conspiracy theories that would confuse the jury? I mean, doesn't that end up being a kind of a messy circus or not? I have more faith in juries than that. And again, I mean, I'll, I'll just be clear and say, I think you only go on a theory of willful blindness alone if your evidence is very strong and it's a little bit muddier in a conspiracy context. There are some legal issues that DOJ would have to vet before they made a decision to do that. There's a split in the circuits on on some of this stuff, which you never like to see. But having said that, I think if you, as a prosecutor, were to present the evidence, not, not just all the evidence out there, but what Trump knew, if you had witnesses who said, I told the president, you know, that that the numbers weren't there. I told the president that this theory he had about the Dominion voting machines was wrong, and I explained to him why it was wrong. If you put on that evidence, it accumulates. It's not just one piece of evidence. And when you've got this web of interlocking evidence, all of which makes clear that he had lost, and then you've got the icing on the cake here— And I'm going to give a shout out to Amanda Wick, a former assistant United States attorney from North Alabama, who spoke for the committee staff yesterday on this issue. You don't have to prove motive in in charges like this. But having a motive can often help jurors understand evidence. And motive evidence makes the willful blindness argument even stronger because the motive evidence here is that Trump kept pushing all of this stuff. The litigation went on after that safe harbor date in December because Trump was making money doing it. $250 million off of these fundraising letters for an entity that didn't exist. You know, let's protect our elections. Money that was being funneled directly to Trump, Trump Trump-connected people, Trump interests. Boy, I think that willful blindness evidence snaps into focus when the prosecution can put on evidence like that. I'm getting excited about trying the case myself, just talking about it. (laughs) I think that evidence is also compelling because to the extent that Trump supporters or former Trump supporters are paying attention and have an open mind, they see the grift. They see the grift. Maybe they don't want to. The one thing we didn't talk about was the fact that, you know, many, many people didn't see the first hearing because it wasn't on their channel of choice, Fox News. And Fox News you know, didn't broadcast it and broadcast their own programs without commercial interruption. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, 
Head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>